biohacking, performance, mastery, mindset. This is a show about getting better every single day. The Hack Life with Joe Levin. Welcome to the show. This is Joel from The Hack Life. I'm here with Sue Balin, who is a midwife and the originator of... <laughs> Sacred body mid midwifery. 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 Midwif. Right? Did I say that? Midwife. Midwifery. Uh, Sue has been a midwife for over fifteen years, and one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you is that you were our midwife for our second child, Tadeo, and one of the amazing experiences for me, I think, in perspective wise, is that I got to have two different births. So I got to have a birth at a hospital. And then I got to have a birth with you. And that's something I want to delve into because I will tell you and the audience that the second birth with you was by far superior. It was by far a better experience. And that's why I wanted to have you on. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's, it's always great perspective to have somebody who's had a hospital birth and a home birth. And to be completely fair, second births are often easier no matter where they take place. But a lot of the things that happen in home births just don't happen in the hospital. And, and there's a level of relaxation and security and uh, it's, it's, people have talked about it as being more blissful. So, That's a perfect word. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Uh, talk to me just real quick for people that don't know, what, what's kind of the history of midwifery? Did I say that right? Midwifery? Yes. Okay. Uh, word for me. Yeah, I don't know. Is it the oldest profession or is it the second oldest profession? <laughs> so clearly we've been having babies for four million years and we are a culture that thrives uh, in, in being in village and a, a very social culture. So I, I feel like women have always had other women around to help them birth. Um, and somewhere along the line, things got a little messed up. Uh, you know, it's probably 150 years ago, there was a big campaign from the American Medical Association to yeah. uh, do away with the culture of midwives. And it was a purely economic decision. In fact, when, midwif when childbirth first moved from the home to the hospital, they didn't really know about germ theory at that point, so yeah. the doctors would be uh, learning about anatomy on cadavers and then coming upstairs to help women have their babies, and the, and the rates of infection were huge. Wow. So uh, people were terrified to go to the hospital. Uh, and you know, we, we appreciate that we know things like germ theory now, though I, I believe that many uh, cultures knew about antibiotic herbs or, uh, or antibacterial herbs, uh, and, and that there was uh, there there was a knowledge that you would never connect a, a dead body with a live body uh, that mm -hmm. you lose when when you put things in silos and uh, take it away from a more holistic experience. So anyway, so the beginning of hospital birth was not so great in our culture. And just over the years, uh, you could see how things changed. And uh, Call the Midwife is a British series on PBS that really showed the beginning of um, national health care in the, in the Uni United Kingdom after World War II. And you could see the, the births that were happening right at the end of the war were all home-based. And then as national health care got bigger, uh, all of the births started to move to birth centers and laying in hospitals. And, and you can just see how it became more efficient for the healthcare system yeah. to have it centralized. But that doesn't mean that that's where it's the best. Uh, I think we've lost a lot. Part of my uh, concern about hospital birth is that everybody, uh, you know, to keep people safe, you have to treat people with very strict standards and protocols and those don't always serve the individual so 
Uh, it also is a place where people are not encouraged to take full responsibility for themselves and their care, and they're not, the, the, our system doesn't build in enough time. You know, my visits with you guys, yeah. it's an hour, an hour and a half. And, and you had already had a baby, so you knew yeah. half of what was going on, or more than half. Um, but we still had things to talk about, and so much of, of what I think is important in midwifery is building that relationship, and building up trust, and getting to know people, and uh, having all of that help leading up to birth, for the actual birth, and then in the postpartum as well. And in our current system, very few people know who's going to attend their birth. They see a whole separate set of people at, for their prenatals. They see whoever is on call for the birth. And then they don't really even get to see people postpartum. They get discharged from the hospital after a couple of days. And they get told to come back to the pediatrician's office, come back to the OB's office at six weeks. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in between. So some of the th one of the things you said that I, I, I heard you say that I want to ask you, it sounds like a lot in the hospitals is like there's almost like this lack of just human connection. It sounds almost like in hospitals it just sounds very almost um, regimented. Very like work like it's like a you know a factory right you come in and you go and then you all right we got to ship you and we get you out of here, yeah. whereas mid midwifery just seems more we're really bringing back the human connection we're really bringing back what it what it is, and a birth is, I never thought of it until afterwards and then even speaking with someone like you is just really just how like magical it is and it's it's a miracle and I know I ways. love births are everyday miracles, <laughs> so. Um, I, I think, you know, the hospitals are filled with really kind, wonderful people. And they would probably love for every one of their births to have that human connection. But it's really hard. Yeah. And when you don't know somebody and you see them for the first time in difficult situation, you know, labor is intense. And you just... We're not meant to be moving around during labor. We're meant to be where in the cave, in the back, in the where we feel protected. And uh, so, moving into a building with bright lights, where lots of paperwork is the first thing that needs to be done, and yeah. it, it's just hard. It's going against everything. Uh, there's a saying that the best place to birth your baby is in the same environment where you made your baby. Oh wow! And and there's actually some European. Uh, uh, little commercial that has a couple in a in a labor room trying to have sex <laughs> and people are coming in to check blood pressure and their heart rate and all this other stuff it's like it's just it's just a crazy situation yeah so. there's nothing organic or sexy right. about a exactly. hospital <laughs> room that's just sterile yeah. and like you said the lights and there's nothing about the organic uh, there's nothing organic about the process that we've created by moving it to this other room yeah. this other building so yeah, so I, and I want to share, you know, my experience in the hospital. I remember for my first child, it was I think three in the morning. My wife uh, wakes me up, you know, hey, we got this, and, and you know, just thinking about it, it's like a lot of you feel like rush, like oh, okay, I gotta get up, I gotta go to the hospital, and then now you're going, and it's like this rush feeling, almost a little bit of panic. Of course, this is my first child, so I am a little bit scared, and you know, I don't know yeah. what's gonna. It's the unknown, so I don't know. And then I remember getting there, like you said all this paperwork you're filling out. We get into the, the hospital room and, you know, they want her to sit down or whatever. And then I remember because my wife is pretty holistic and um, she's, we're both in very into the woo woo. So we, we research all this stuff. So I was aware of things like Pitocin, which I had no idea prior to having a child or learning about yeah. this process. But Pitocin is like a hormone, right? that helps quicken the labor. And it's it's crazy because uh, I almost said the name of the hospital, so I don't, and I don't want to badmouth them. Like you said, it's not yeah. about that. It's just about bringing awareness. And I remember one of the cool things that this hospital did for us is they said, hey, what's your ideal birth plan? You get to write it out and tell us so that we're on the same page and what you want, and we want to help create that the best we can. So, of course, my wife writes out this big thing saying, I would like this. 
I'm going to have a natural birth at all costs kind of thing. At the very end, if we had to, you could inject me with Pitocin, but that's really not my first thing. And I want to tell you, like, probably within an hour of being there, they're like, all right, so um, it's not moving along, and uh, we're going to have to do we're, – we're, we're looking at possibly uh, shooting it with Pitocin. I was – in that moment, I was pissed off. I was like, did you not read the plan? Like, we, we talked about this. It's only been an hour. Like, what is what is this quickening of labor that we need to have? The other thing on that is – as a husband, I realize I need to be uh, a supporter or an advocate for my wife because, and you probably know this, when when they're going, when they're in, in birth, when that process is happening, their mind's probably not working too well. So oh, very it's working easy. really well. It's just doing other things. <laughs> right. It's multitasking, doing yeah. a lot of other things. It doesn't have the capacity to hear somebody say, hey, we're going to inject you with Pitocin. Right. And I could see a lot of women just succumb to that because they don't even know. And they're just like, I guess, or even they feel like maybe I'm failing. Yeah. Maybe I'm not doing a good enough job. Yeah, I, I think there are lots of ways that we undermine ourselves. Um, from the very beginning, you know, all our media images have people, the, the water opens or, or the amniotic fluid releases and labor starts really forcefully. They have to get to the hospital. They have the baby before the episode is over within an hour. And that is so not what real life looks like. Uh, also, I, I feel like I remember when we first were talking and you were t you guys were telling me about your hospital experience, you really, I, I feel like you got thrown into this role of protector, yeah, which is kind of a natural role for you anyway and for many partners. But what that does is it really removes you from your own experience. So now you're busy like putting up walls or making yeah. sure that your wife doesn't suffer from things that you know she doesn't want um and you have to stop encouraging her or being there for her and and really uh defend which is a whole different set of actions and is much more adrenaline driven than oxytocin driven yeah so wow i didn't even think about that you're right it, it becomes i'm a protector i'm in this fight or flight state i got to be defensive my guards are up and now I, I lost a lot of trust with the doctors in the hospital. Yeah. And how can I be present for my wife who needs me in this moment? And right? to have your own experience yeah. of watching your baby be born. Yeah. You know, another thing, could you talk about, I notice with a lot of hospitals, it's this idea of, all right, um, hey, you, you're going to give birth and you need to sit in the bed uh, in this position. And my wife, who obviously knew a lot about more about birth was like, I'm not sitting in a bed. I'm walking around. I'm doing this. I'm getting on all fours. Can you talk about maybe like why that'd be more advantageous or should we be sitting yeah. in beds, just lying down, <laughs> no. giving birth and pushing? <laughs> and you know, like sitting is the new smoking, right? Yes. <laughs> so nobody should be sitting anywhere. Yes. Um, I, I feel like, uh, we know physiologically moving around, using our bodies, that's what helps babies get into the best position all during pregnancy and certainly during labor. So, uh, you know, when I'm working with somebody at home and it's always a balance, I want them to choose whatever position works for them and I want them to be able to rest and I want them to be able to exert themselves. I want them to eat, I want them to pee. These are the important things that I, I watch for. I have my checklist. Um, and especially if it's a first labor or longer labor, like these are the things that we want the body to keep doing. In the hospital, you have to realize that it's an uncomfortable place for many people and many people are really afraid of labor. So yeah. there are hospitals in our city where the epidural rate is over 90%. So if you have 90% of your women unable to move the lower half of their bodies, they clearly have to be in bed. And uh, the system is set up for that so that nurses at a central station can watch several laboring women at once. They know yeah. they can go in and move them side to side as needed, keep the heart rate the baby's heart rate uh, on the monitor. Um, and in some ways, you know, we've, we've created staffing rules based on that. 
Yeah. So that's a lot easier uh, in some ways than having a nurse be with somebody and follow their movements or make sure they're going to pee or make sure they're going to eat or do any of those kind of wild things or things that would happen in the wild. I think that's why doulas have become so important because they can provide that role in the hospital. They can help people move around. They can explain the difference between a a doula and a midwife. Yeah. So doulas, um, are again there it's a traditional role it's like it's your aunt your sister your your uh sister-in-law it's like people who were around you who had been through birth probably or had just been steeped in what it was like to be in this community where everybody gave birth and uh so doulas provide comfort measures and uh i think we have a great community of doulas here they're also very educated so they can provide some information about the different procedures especially the things that happen in the hospital they can give people kind of a heads up and know what to expect and they can help uh, remind the staff of the birth plan that's been established so it it helps take the partner out of that protector defender role and kind of uh subs it out to somebody else yeah um what they can't do are the clinical things they don't they are not trained to make medical decisions um they don't do the same kinds of assessments that midwives do so there are are lots of people who are birthing at home and might have a doula and the doula might get there earlier than the midwife does Typically, as a midwife, I get there at the time that people would go to the hospital when active labor is established. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, in the ideal world, if we had X or x-ray vision, we would know that was five to six centimeters dilation. We don't always know that. Not every labor is a straight line. So, uh, so we understand. We kind of go when the surges are regular and continuing and Long, strong, and close together. That's my mantra for... Long, uh, strong, and close together. Uh, for, for contractions or surges. That's what we want. So a uh, so doula might get there a little bit earlier, help people relax into yeah. things. When we're relaxed, we open a little bit better. Um, first labors especially, there can be like some trepidation, anxiety, excitement, yeah. all those things. Um, and to really remind people that this is normal, that they're prepared for it, they're made to do, f- made to do this. You know, there's so many affirmations that we forget, but are really great to be reminded of when you're in that state. Um, so, so doulas are, I think, required in the hospital. Sometimes nice to have at home. Um, just depends on somebody's situation. You know, when I gave birth, I had five people with me. Not a single one of them had been to a birth, but they were the people that were the most important to me and gave me the most comfort. So we had a party. (laughs) That's awesome. And can you actually talk about, uh, what, what got you into midwife midwifery and, and your, your personal birth experience and and I think maybe why that, how that Um, came about? So I, uh, I was always interested in science and healing, and I went to an engineering school in upstate New York in the late 70s, because I'm really old. <laughs> and uh, Somehow every <laughs> time we do an interview, I always get the guest's age out of them, and I don't try. <laughs> it just comes out. Uh, yeah, so I was, a, I was a chemistry major, and uh, I went to this school, and there was a ratio of men to women of nine to one. So that was a little overwhelming. And uh, in reaction, I, uh, my feminist spirit blossomed. <laughs> and uh, I, I was looking for something that was feminist oriented and used technology in an appropriate way. My favorite book was Ecotopia. And it talked about, you know, not everybody needs it. It was a much more beautiful book, but my example was not everybody needs an electric can opener. We're great great for people who need them, but everybody else can turn the, the knob. Like yeah, technology does not have to invade everything. Yeah. So uh, so those were my two criteria, and I was kind of seeking, and uh, I realized that there was still some ch- a thing as midwives, and it was actually the renaissance of... of um, 
mostly white women coming back to home birth midwifery um, in the African-American community, there had still been midwives and home births in some of the rural areas. But uh, it was right around the same time that Ina Mae Gaskin published Spiritual Midwifery, which is one of the, the, the books that helped uh, instigate that renaissance. So... Uh, who is she in the community? Of so Ina Mae Gaskin... Um, started out in San Francisco and uh, was on a, a caravan with a, a bunch of seekers. They were following uh, this guy, Stephen Gaskin, who became her husband. And uh, they were a kind of a intentional community and prices were too high in San Francisco. Shocking. So they took a bus and they landed in Tennessee where they could buy a bunch of land and create their community. And lo and behold, Along the way, <laughs> people got pregnant and needed to have their babies. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, some of the women on the bus uh, trained as best they could or attended these births. And when they got to Tennessee, they realized that this was a beautiful thing. And there were some doctors around that helped them really train and learn the medical side of things. And yeah. Uh, and the farm became uh, famous for helping people have natural births. Wow. And Ina Mae Gaskin is an, a beautiful author. And she wrote Spiritual Midwifery in the late 70s. She wrote Ina Mae Gaskin's Child Guide to Childbirth, I think in the 80s. Um, she's written a few other books, too. So the farm has been an incredibly important place for uh, midwives and training. And so that was one then. of the books that influenced you exactly, um, and kind of jettisoned you yeah. into this uh, career yeah so so it was the late 70s I knew I wanted to be a midwife when I grew up I was not ready to be grown up <laughs> I, was, I thought I should have a baby before I do midwifery and I did not want children so you did not want them no so it took a wow. really long time for all the pieces to I went into high tech I was in advertising and um <laughs> so it was it was a crazy kind of path and uh, we wound up moving out to the West Coast and uh, to San Francisco, and it was the late 80s, and uh, it was the height of the AIDS epidemic here, mm. and I, w I started working for the Names Project, who are the people that did the AIDS memorial quilt, and I turned 30. <laughs> And suddenly, and I had a whole bunch of friends that were dying, and wow. suddenly I needed a baby more than I needed air to breathe. So I was in a relationship, and uh, we got pregnant pretty easily, and we looked for a home birth midwife, and we tested out my theory. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a beautiful experience. It was perfect. It was lovely, and it was everything we wanted it to be. And... Uh, we're sitting in the room where I gave birth, so it's a wow. little trippy. <laughs> it looked different then. Um, but I, uh, I I knew that I was doing the right thing, but I had a small child and a full-time job, and I was just trying to figure out things. So I decided it would be my 10-year plan that I would become a midwife from the inside out. And, and it was great. My midwife started a study group that I would go to on Thursday nights with my little one. And uh, I did that for years. And then I did other classes. And finally, in 2001, I became a full-time apprentice. And so most of my learning uh, was through home birth experience. Uh, in 1993, the year my daughter was born, California also established state licensing for midwives, for home birth midwives, which was a huge thing. And um, one of the requirements was the equivalent of a three-year post-secondary educational program. So uh, my midwife happened to start a school that was, you know, validated by the Department of Education. And uh, so I, I did that. And it was How like people... I know. People were just putting rose petals down on the <laughs> path for me to follow. So... so Midwifery school is a three-year commitment or so? Yeah, or? it's the equivalent of a three-year program. Some people take longer. Some people take shorter. Um, uh, there, A lot of them are distance learning programs because there's just not the critical mass in one place. 
Um, but there are some places that require in-person uh, educational stints so that people might go up for a, a weekend or a week uh, every so often. There's a program up in Seattle at Bestier University. It's gotten a little more formalized since 93. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I started my apprenticeship in 2001. I started my practice in 2005. And it's a really amazing thing to feel like, oh, I found my purpose. And, and that's what I'm doing. And uh, the rewards are huge. And it's not that there are no challenges, but they feel like they're worthwhile or reinforcing or... Um, you know, Paolo Coelho in The Alchemist, yes. he talks about beginner's luck as when everything just falls into place. That's what I felt like midwifery was for me. And uh, and that's the universe saying, you're on the right path. And then he talks about the challenges and the rocky path that comes next. And that's the universe saying, if you want this, you got to work for it. So I think midwifery is a perfect example of that. I love that story. I was just connecting with somebody the other day. We were talking about purpose and, and, and losing some of that purpose and looking for that. And I just love the way you talk about in your own internal conversation of dealing with like, well, maybe I should go into a career in economics or this like business because that – and I <laughs> fell into that trap too. Like I should get a job from eight to five because that's what everybody does. But then in the back of your mind, in the back of your heart, you knew that there was something else calling you. And I just like, at the, for you, the, the turning point was 30 where you said, I I'm going to do this. And you embarked on it. And like you said, it's amazing when you create this abundance and this vibration in the world, this energy that you exude. You said rose petals are being just, it felt that way. Yeah. And I can totally empathize with that. And I think more people need to understand that when you start, there's something about energy and thoughts and motion and going forward that when you start putting that energy out there, good things manifest. Yeah. And I really just, I really like that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Anything, um, one of the other things that you said that I, I really love and I always remember about you and it really just released any fear or anything I had going into the second birth because there's just always some kind of fear of just, oh, you know, yeah. it's the unknown, right? But one of the things that you said that really just dropped my guards and made me feel great, great about the experience and good about you was you said, Joel, women have been doing this for four million years. This is nothing new. We've made it seem like it's new by putting it in a hospital and you need epidurals and we need to sit you this certain way and Pitocin. And, and our lives are more complicated. We're not quite as in touch with nature as we used to be. So Right, right. And... For me, that was just the ultimate. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're right. It changed my paradigm of how I looked at the world and how I thought, how I saw birth. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, and of course, you're, you're absolutely right. This is going to be fine. This is going to be fine. We're, we're meant to do this. We're meant to do this, yes. And uh, there's <laughs> one of the things that really emphasized that for me was uh, there's a book called The Female Brain. And uh, she talks about growing up and adolescence and all the things that we do and so much of what we do is driven by that that need to procreate so like we have all these mating rituals and we we like there are all these things we do to get the best mate out there and we want the best mate so we can make the best children so that we can propagate the species in the best way and I know that consciously none of us are thinking about that but that's what all our hormones are driving us towards. That's what a lot of the social fabric that we've created is driving us towards. So, uh, and that was my own experience that, you know, my head wasn't ready for children for a long time. I understood that's not that I never pictured myself as a mom. It's just, there was a lot of other stuff going on that was really juicy. And, uh, but man, those hormones hit and it was, uh, in the old Star Trek, when Spock has to procreate, they, it's the call to Vulcan, and it's like, that's what it was. <laughs> I don't know that reference, but uh, I hope there's some Trekkie people out there that know exactly what you're talking about. We're dropping Star Trek knowledge yeah. on the show. This is awesome. Um, so, you know, one of the things that you said, again, is that we've always, we've been meant, we've been, we've meant to do that. We've been meant to do this. 
Um, is there anything about midwives that you could say, like, what's the biggest difference between, I guess, midwives and, like, nurses or doctors? Um, because obviously you just said that they, they go through a three-year program, then there's apprenticeship. For people that don't know anything about midwifery or they're still like, yeah, well, you're not a doctor, you know, there can be yeah. some bias towards Definitely. them. Definitely. You, what what would you tell that, people with that with that bias? Uh, so, you know, my job is not to convince people to have a home birth. The best place to have a birth is where you feel the safest. Yeah. But certainly for me, I felt safer at home than I was going to in the hospital. Um, and, you know, it's we, we are just in a funky state. Like there are doctors out there who have gone through all their medical school training and residency, and they almost never see a natural birth. Wow. So I, I've been in a hospital room where people came in just to see a natural birth. And uh, it, it, it's crazy. So how, yeah, how crazy. can we depend on people who have so little firsthand knowledge of what undisturbed birth looks like? Um, it's and, it, and just like that, you just think about it, like doctors have their own bias. If they haven't yeah. seen a natural birth, then it's like, of course, they're going into their own bias. Right. Good or bad, it's just, that's what it is. And also, we see, the hospital is the place where it's appropriate. If we need help, that's where we get to push things along. So I was with somebody who was, she dilated beautifully. She had a really hard time with second stage, which is the pushing part. And mm. we did everything we could at home and things start, she started to get tired and the surges spaced out. Like that's an appropriate time to use Pitocin. So we went to the hospital and um, she got a little bit of Pitocin and she was able to push out her baby and it was beautiful. Yeah. But it's the kind of thing where I was with somebody else and she she was having much more trouble dilating and we went to the hospital and we got Pitocin and the baby didn't like it. Like the baby oh, at home had been protecting itself and had been spacing out the surges and knew that it couldn't do, um, you know, if it was going to be born at home like that, it was going to take a long time, like days and days and days. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes that's not safe and sometimes that's not, desirable and yeah. in many ways so we're we're happy to have the help of the hospital when we need it right they used pitocin which can be a strong uh, have a strong effect on the baby the baby did not like it and uh the heart rate went down and they had to move to a c-section mm. and uh so so we understand that there's a time and a place for these things and we if we have to push the envelope we want to do it in the hospital at the same time what that means is <laughs> that the people who work in the hospital they see all the bad things right <laughs> so I, I understand how they're afraid and and they see so many they have so many births so they're influenced by what happened last week it's like last week we had you know these horrible things happen and now when somebody comes in, they need to make sure that's not going to happen to them. Yeah. So if I have my training is at home and mostly undisturbed births, like that's my basis. It's like that gives me that strength to say this is usually going to work out. Right. At the same time, I take my training very seriously. And I, I tell people it's a very weird job. I totally believe in the power of this to happen and that eternal optimism. But I'm always watching for things that are going off off the rails a little bit. And I'm seeing if we can nudge it back into the path or if we need to go somewhere or take care of something. So... Um, my job is to kind of hold that space of possibility, watch for things that are not so straightforward, and and make sure that the people, the family, uh, feels like they stay in control and they have what is going on for them is what they want. Yeah. So. You know, for our second birth, when we were lucky enough to have you as our <laughs> midwife, yeah, it was completely a completely different experience. One of the things you say is just being like you feel comfortable. You're at home. 
I feel like now, granted, the second birth for us, if I had to guess, I think it happened like 45 minutes. I remember <laughs> I was walking out, out of the house and uh, <laughs> my wife doesn't see. I have my other son, uh, Roque, with me. So he's like three or something. So there's a park nearby. We're going to walk down to the park, just our normal kind of thing. And I see my wife. She doesn't tell me anything. She's putting a car seat in the car, which probably should have been my FBI clue that <laughs> something's happening. <laughs> but uh, I, so I see her putting a car seat in our car, and she's kind of like holding on to it and just kind of like breathing. And uh, but doesn't say anything like nothing like, "Hey Joel, like just FY, like this is going on." I and I asked her. I said, "Everything good?" Like you know, I think we were maybe a week earlier or something, so I wasn't too. You know, I wasn't too raised up. And uh, she said, yeah, like, yeah, whatever, just breathing. And just, I, I don't think she knew what she was saying. She ignored me probably and just brushed me off. Yeah, go to the park, whatever. I go to the park. I'm there for like 15 minutes. She says, Joel, get home. <laughs> okay, so now I rush back. Um, but the experience, even though maybe from total time from that text to the actual birth was only 45 minutes or something, it was just so much more relaxing. Mm. It was, there was, I didn't feel the panic of having to go and get stuff. Uh, and then I do remember when you showed up, um, you know, my mind is, I'm, I'm going a mile a minute too, like just like trying to be there for her and what do you need, what are we doing? But I remember you just like laying down sheets and doing like just the things, the invisible things that you don't see, but you need to get done. And um, man, it was, yeah, it was amazing. It was, um, it was just such a, different experience <laughs> I, I, I and i and i really want people to get that like th i'm not trying to convince them either but they need to know yeah. like just the relaxed state for my How wife how beautiful and I. it can be and by the way i wanted to tell you this i never got to tell you this you totally tricked me for <laughs> our birth okay i remember we talked about this you said joel do you want to catch the baby and i said nope <laughs> i said absolutely not because and it was my own fear my own trepidation, my own, I can't do, I can't do that. I don't, I, I, I don't know how, I don't want to, like, I'll hurt the baby. Those are my own internal dialogue, right? <laughs> you, so you said, okay, fine, like, that's your problem. When it was happening, you said, Joel, put your hands out. I'm like, uh, I couldn't tell you no. I couldn't be like, no, Sue, like, this is your job. <laughs> Sorry, and you, well, and you clearly... said, put your hand, Joel, like, do this, put your hands out. You just started kind of guiding me, and, uh, and I did. And, of course, it was successful. And <laughs> I'm getting kind of choked up thinking about this, but although I want to uh, give you give you crap for it, I can't thank you enough for telling me to do that because it's such a powerful moment as a father or as any parent. I think, yeah. well, most most likely a father, but to no, catch moms, catch moms too, right? Yeah. To catch their own kid, and um, God, like you said, it was uh, it was blissful. Hmm. So thank I'm so you. glad. I apologize for not following the <laughs> birth plan. <laughs> but, um, and I have had people say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Even in the moment. But did you do that on purpose to me though? Or did you even remember that conversation? Did you know uh, that you had done that or? I don't know. It just seemed, you, you know, there's a, a midwife who works in the hospital who um, is quoted as telling somebody, she asked a dad, do you want to catch the baby? And he said, no, no, no. And she said, oh, you'll be so sorry if you say no. Yeah. So, but for me, a lot of it is just circumstantial. It's like, In what's the, moment, the universe right? presenting here? Yes. It's like a lot of times um, the laboring person is like really holding on to their partner. So the partner's not in a position where they can uh, help receive the baby. Right. But. That's not what was going on. <laughs> yeah. No, I was in a good position. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was in a good yeah. position to catch. So yeah. that worked out well. Yeah. Um, any any memorable births that you can have that were like just super memorable or just an experience? I, I don't know. I don't know what would what sticks out in your mind the most. They're all everyone is really amazing. Um, it's amazing for me because I get to like know these families. I spend what we probably spend 15, 16 hours together before the birth. Like, yeah, I don't get to spend that with some of my best friends. <laughs> right. So, um, so it's really, it's really nice. We're seeing each other weekly before the birth and you know, it's just, it's this sense of excitement and expectation. It's really, um, it's an amazing thing to be included in, somebody's life at that time yeah um so i i hope 
I do it honor enough to like really be present and and therefore kind of remember or notice what goes on. I, I most of the time at the one year birthday, I send a note to people, and I'm pretty sure I sent one to you guys. I'm sure, yeah. Um, and I I usually try to uh, write down some of my like most memorable thoughts of, of what happened at at that point because that first year of parenting is such a blur for people and and being able to go back to the birth and and just take a moment is it's so foundational yeah you know it can and I often say the whole goal of midwifery is in our in our culture we put so much emphasis on pregnancy and birth and we're not so good about afterwards. Like all our resources, right. they're minimal um, afterwards. So if we can use pregnancy and birth as a time to really build strong families, that will go so much further than just telling people, just follow these directions, don't worry about it. So I really, you know, you guys are are my perfect clients. Like you were invested in your family and you take a lot of responsibility for how you live your lives and and the things you want out of it um you know you've you've spent time building up community you trust your instincts those are all things that I think are really really important and that I want to encourage people to do um so so gestating a baby is and gestating your family are parallel tracks um just need to remind people that that's what it is yeah so um yeah you know the birth is short but being able to take the strength from it and the pride somebody just wrote to me you know uh the the way that i treated them during pregnancy and birth um were models for them about how to treat themselves and their children wow. and and that's an incredible gift to to hear that I had that effect on somebody and also to know that somebody like appreciated that. Yeah, it's kinda that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> Real quick, postpartum care. Yeah. Midwifery. I hear a lot of women having issues postpartum, postpartum depression, postpartum this. Why yeah. is that so crucial? And what 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 do what do midwives typically do to support? Um, well, I think we show up, and that's the number one thing that can help mitigate some postpartum depression. Postpartum depression, you know, there's a certain number where it's just chemical, and that's going to happen. But a lot of times, postpartum depression is exacerbated by not having enough support. Yeah. So even if I can't provide the actual support, I can kind of be an alarm. It's like, look, you need more help, and like the whole family has to rally, or these things have to get put in place. Um, the whole idea, you know, so I women feeling they're alone in this only uh, they're, being over they're, they're doing they're doing this by themselves. Physically overwhelmed. Yeah, it's like where they can they. I just worked with somebody who had a C-section the first time, came home, and you know, she she rested as much as she thought she was supposed to, and she took the pain pills, and um, but everything was hard, and she was up and about every day. And yeah. it's like, that's just not what our bodies need. Even after a vaginal birth, that's not what we need. So I come, I come four times in the first 10 days to make sure that people are resting enough, being fed, that breastfeeding is going well. Yeah. Like it's, those are important times when support at that level can really make or break things. And it's not that our standard medical system doesn't want to do that, but they, it's all centralized. So they're asking women to leave their house with their baby and go there to get that support. And that's just not the same. No, it's not. And I can testify. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so much more relaxing. Yeah. It is just so much, e- there's so much more ease in your life having someone like you come yeah. over. Um, you know, and I think something you told me too, is that, Hey, uh, Joel in like ancient culture or whatever, like, uh, you you can you kind of told me like hey you need to step up your game not that I wasn't not going to but just kind of letting me know uh, on the forefront hey like 
women like would stay in bed for the first 30 days or something like that. Like they're not or at least confined to the house. Yeah. You said, uh, I don't want, I don't want, uh, my wife Nini. I don't want her going up and down stairs kind of thing. Like that was great for me because I didn't know I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. And my wife also is a hard charger. So, uh, she will do it on her keeping own. Keeping her down was hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'd I need to be the one, the advocate, to be like, hey, hey, let me let me yeah. do this, even if you think you can, yeah. right? And especially when there are older toddlers around. Yeah, oh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, let's uh, let's let's get into some lightning round questions. Are you ready? Okay. So lightning round questions, uh, they're called lightning round questions, just meaning they're going to be probably a shorter answer, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily mean that um, it has to be like a fast answer or one word. It's just okay. might be a... I'm not going to get struck by lightning. Negative. <laughs> I hope not. All right. Um, so if the old you could see the new you, what would the new you <laughs> say? The old me could see the new me. Uh, you know, getting older is, is an amazing process. Wisdom is hard fought and really wonderful. And there's no way that the old me would understand that so bob dylan has a great line i was so much older than i'm younger than that now <laughs> that's so great yeah yes you're embracing being uh, aging I that's am. what i get from that well and and, and just no love <laughs> i mean you have no choice but that's a, that it's a conscious choice you know yeah. we talk about that at work it's a conscious choice yeah the what you're what you're doing and you really your thoughts control your environment part of it too is this job when i started i was the same age as the people having babies and now i'm the same age as their mothers so i'm being put into this other role and i still try to think i'm cooler than their moms (laughs) but sometimes not yeah (laughs) so uh what are what are some choices that made you who you are today doesn't every choice make you who you are? Yeah, anything um, that stand out? We chose to move away from our family and adventure for five years in San Francisco, and that was 31 years ago. And now you never came back. <coughs> never came back. Um, Pretty powerful choice, too, because it really, like you said, I love the analogy of the rose petals, you know, yeah. just it. And and it's just it's serendipitous. Like we would not be talking today if you didn't yeah. make that move. Right. Yeah, I, I, I actually think that's the biggest thing. Whenever. There aren't that many kind of light bulb moments that happen in people's lives, but I feel like there were some significant ones. The choice to follow midwifery, the choice to come to California, the choice to be with my partner. Um, Those were all big light bulb moments. And I didn't, I didn't waver. It's like, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So. Very cool. Um, Anybody that you follow or anybody in your industry of wellness and holistic, uh, either it doesn't have to be midwifery, but anybody in that world that you follow or who inspires you today? Oh, so many people. Um, it, you know, I, I think we're all so busy now. It's like the, the Instagram is the, the fast way to get stuff. Are so. you on the gram, Sue? <laughs> I I don't post a lot. Okay. <laughs> the I S B E E M W S B midwife. Okay. Um, but there's a, a a midwife in the East Bay who's Restore underscore midwifery who puts out some amazing images and education stuff. Um, so uh, I I think that's great. There's a a doing it at home podcast. Oh, cool. Out of Atlanta. So they're two. I think they're both coaches and uh, they had their own baby at home and they do a ton of interviews with people. Yeah. So, um, and uh, yeah, and eagerly awaiting your podcast. <laughs> Excellent. And so. um, I'm a big book reader. I've been influenced by many books. Just in the podcast, you must have listed like five books. So I'm going to have to go through those <laughs> and put them in the show notes. Any big books, I always say one to three that influence you that you would recommend other people read? Wow. Uh, um, gosh, you know, one of the biggest books that influenced me is this really serious biography of this woman named Hannah Arendt. Um, and uh, she she was a, around the Holocaust time, and she was one of the people who said, just because it was somebody's job doesn't mean that they had to do it. 
So yeah. we thought we were going to name our daughter Hannah for a really long time. And then when we had a baby, it was like, oh, that sounds terrible. Together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's so m- the books are just so rich yeah. and and so valuable. Um, I'm reading one now about the engineers behind the NASA program, you know, the the Apollo missions. And it's like the astronauts get all the credit and the engineers like were amazing superheroes. Of course. So it's like you need both. You need right? both, yeah. Need both. Great perspective. Yeah. yeah. There's always a team behind, right? Yeah. Like they say any even with husbands, there's always a good wife behind a yeah. husband or anything or like that. Or the other way around. <laughs> or the other way around, yeah. So. Um I'm a big person in rituals or sometimes people call them hacks, right? Like, and I like hacks because they kind of, they might get you to a certain, uh, they might nudge you in the right direction somewhere. But at the end of the day, I'm all about mastery. But are there any rituals or daily practices that you do like gratitude journaling or something for you that's just a huge game changer and you wish everyone would do this? I am also big into rituals and my life is very um, routinized. Partly because my job is so crazy. You know, I can get called away at any time. So I really take um, solace in my rituals. My relationship with my sweetie, uh, when we broke our rituals, that's when we had the hardest time. So Uh, it's like as simple as we used to walk to a cafe every Saturday. The cafe closed and uh, our our relationship (laughs) fell apart (laughs) until he realized that's what happened. Yeah. (laughs) So... um, you know, I'm a. S- I take my yoga practice very seriously, and I really think that um, that is salvation for me in a lot of ways. Um, and at the end of every practice, there's definitely a moment of gratitude. Um, and uh, I think flossing your teeth is really important. It is. <laughs> it is very important. People should be. Yeah, I'm sure people that don't do that. Why? <laughs> I get such good joy out of it myself. <laughs> Um, last but Sue, last but not least, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Yeah, I'm happy to answer questions about midwifery and home birth. Um, even if people don't live in the Bay Area, I work in San Francisco. Um, sacredbodymidwifery.com is the best way to reach me. Awesome. And then on Instagram, can you say your handle again? S B E E midwife is S B E E M W. Awesome. S B midwife. Thank you so much, Sue, for being on the show. The great Sue Balin. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. It absolutely means the world to me, and I'm extremely grateful for this opportunity. If any of this resonates with you, feel free to go to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. There you can follow me, or you can follow me on Spotify. And if you're interested in life coaching or health coaching, you can find me at joelevancoaching.com, and I'd love to connect with you there. Thanks, and continue to be amazing. 